This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 215. friends, welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today I have a very special guest for you. Her name is Samantha Morrissey and she is the Head of Veterinary Services at Koala Health, an online pet pharmacy startup working to improve the healthcare experience for veterinarians, clients, and pets alike. Dr. Morrissey is a fearless industry disruptor and devout veterinary representative who has held leadership roles within the AVMA, International Veterinary Students Association, World Small Animal Veterinary Association, and the World Veterinary Association. She has represented the profession far and wide, including at the United Nations General Assembly. She's truly a global veterinarian with firsthand experience practicing veterinary medicine in two different languages and on six different continents. In her spare time, Dr. Morrissey enjoys swapping in the scientific literature for a good book, traveling, hiking, and exploring new parks and cafes with her Labrador retriever, Luca. Welcome to the (laughs) podcast, Samantha. I love that bio. It's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Well, it brings so many questions to mind. (laughs) Well, hopefully I'm able to answer them all today. Uh, Well, Um, it's your life, so I'm sure you can. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to share with you. It's it's really awesome to be here. I really uh, appreciate the work that you're doing with this podcast and 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 in your non traditional path as well. And so I think, yeah, it's really just an honor to be here, and I'm excited. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. So I always ask everyone at the beginning of the podcast to tell their veterinary story. So you can start wherever you want, and just tell me about your know, your journey in vet med. Yeah. It's been a long one. I guess, um, like many people in the profession, I was that kid that always knew from day one that I wanted to be a vet. Um, It was sort of the big dream of my life. And so when I got into vet school, I was just so elated, so thrilled to be there. Um, But then people started asking me a different question and I quickly learned the answer. Veterinarian wasn't enough. And I had to figure out what kind of vet I wanted to be. Uh, So that was kind of a shock to me. Um, but nonetheless, I had so many interests and I was super happy to get involved with, with everything. And so I was in, uh, a million extracurricular activities. I was probably like in every club and on the board of half of them. Uh, I just couldn't get enough of it. An overachiever, um, huh? <laughs> some, some might say, um, so yeah, I had my hands in a whole, a whole bunch of things, um, sort of found my my path led me towards organized veterinary medicine. I was on the board of, um, you know, the national student AVMA, and then that progressed to being on the board of the, uh, the global board of the international veterinary students association, which is the largest association of veterinary students in the world. Um, and that's, uh, really where I developed my passion for organized veterinary medicine. And I got, um, to be involved in so many unique experiences. Um, for one was that I served as the veterinary student representative at the United Nations General Assembly's high level meeting on antimicrobial resistance, which was an incredible opportunity that was afforded to me because I was involved in that association work. Um, and, and really just lit a fire under me that I thought, 
yeah, this is what I need, what I need to do with my life. Um, I felt like that's where I could have the greatest impact. And so, um, that's what, that's what I thought I wanted to do with my career, but everybody that I saw that was in that space was more of like a volunteer, you know, the, the, the roles in organized veterinary medicine are sort of few and far between. Um, and most of the people who have been doing it for such a long time, they do it as a volunteer, as a volunteer role, or they do it part-time. And I had trouble figuring out how I could earn a living doing that. Yeah. Um, it, to, it to be a profession, a full-time, a full-time gig with pay. Yeah, than exactly. Yeah. But that's not the nature of the field. And so right. um, it was sort of difficult for me to figure out how I was going to do that and incorporate that into my work and still be able to pay my loans. Um, but fortunately, I had a number of other passions. I was also really interested in the coursework. Um, I think you meet a lot of people these days who say, you know, I wasn't the best student. Um, I had my, my focus elsewhere. That wasn't me. I was the annoying kid in the front row, in the middle, raising my hand constantly. The one that raised their hand all the time. Every class has Always. one of those, right? Out, answered every question, was at every office hour. I couldn't get enough. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, some is still overachiever, but I was just in love with veterinary medicine. I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and one of the, the subjects I found the most interesting was oncology because um, I think like many people, you know, my, my grandfather passed away uh, from cancer while I was in vet school. And so I had sort of a personal connection to the field, but I think oncology is also one of those fields where, you know, it's constantly evolving. Um, I also like the translational aspect of it because um, research that's done in veterinary medicine can be translated and applied to human medicine and vice versa. So I felt like I could really do a lot with that. And I felt call to it. Um, and so that's what I went into full force. I mean, I attacked it from all sides. I started doing cancer research, putting out publications, um, doing a million externships. I heard VCA West LA was doing bone marrow transplants for dogs with lymphoma. So I went there to learn that. I heard the AMC was doing interventional oncology, you know, injecting chemo directly into the heart of a tumor. And so I went there to learn that. Um, I just went everywhere I could. The uh, for my surgical oncology training, I went to Australia because one of the founding fathers of veterinary surgical oncology was there. So I went there to train with him. Um, I just, I loved it. Um, and so when I graduated vet school, the natural next step was to uh, do a rotating internship. So uh, I went to the AMC, did my rotating internship there, and, and I just loved it. Um, it was intense, but I learned so much, probably more than I, I could have even imagined. Um, but it wasn't for the faints of heart, so I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know, I think, um, at the end I was pretty burnt out. Um, and particularly the oncology department at that time, I felt, you know, they didn't, they didn't seem so happy. The residents, you know, were just kind of gossiping amongst each other. They were fighting with other departments in the hospital. Um, it just didn't seem like an environment that I wanted to be in for the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, and so then I just think had- that is, why do you think it was like that? Was it just too stressful and people, that's how people handled their stress? I think it is stressful. It's also the animal medical center is a world renowned institution, right? It's very competitive. It's elitist. Um, and, and, and every, anyone is uh, they're, they're always 
answering to someone above them, right? So, you know, the interns are stressed and they lash out, but they're getting it from the residents and the residents are stressed and they lash out, but they're getting it from so the it's staff. That, it's that like hierarchy it's, it's a triple down. stress. <laughs> yeah. And, and the chiefs of the services are getting it as well because they need to produce and they need to publish and they need to bring in revenue and, and, and everybody's getting the pressure from somewhere. Um, but it just wasn't a very healthy environment. And I, it made me question if that's really what I wanted to do, if that was what I wanted for my career. And if that was what I wanted for my life, is this what I want to be doing on a day-to-day basis? Um, and so, and so I wasn't sure. Um, and so when the match came around, uh, I had already submitted an application, but I really grappled with it. Um, and, you know, it was a really difficult decision. I, at the last second, I ended up withdrawing uh, or, or I withdrew from it at the last moment. Um, but it was a really difficult decision for me to make. Um, at this point, I had been working towards that for so many years. Um, it was every every aspect of my life. And I really highly identified with that field. Um, not just me, but even everyone else around me, they all knew me as, you know, the, the medical oncology person, all my friends from vet school thought I was going to be an oncologist, my friends, my family, my mentors. Um, that's a lot of pressure to, to make a decision that you think is disappointing other people. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and yeah, it was disappointing other people, but it was also kind of a loss of my identity because it was what I focused on for so long. Um, and what was I going to do? And, and just like you said, right. Um, there are so many people who had helped me and supported me on that journey. I mean, I had people, you know, everywhere from New York to Australia who were making phone calls and writing letters and who had, had trained me and supported me and, and backed me every step of the way that it felt almost disrespectful. Yeah. Like you were betraying them in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And and that I would disappoint oh. them and think of course, yeah. And, and I mean, I loved and respected these people as well. And the last thing I wanted to do was disappoint them, but yeah, I think at some point you have to, to make a decision. Are you going to worry about disappointing other people or disappointing yourself yeah. by choosing to continue on a path that's inauthentic to you? Um, and so I, and so I couldn't do that. I chose myself and at the very last minute, just to give you an idea of how stressed I was, I remember sitting on my roommate's bed I'm at, uh, in the, the intern resident dorms uh, in Manhattan for the Animal Medical Center. And I'm sitting on my roommate's bed, holding her hand, watching the clock go down as I didn't hit the submit button, just waited for the clock to run out. Because <laughs> it was such a hard thing not to do. Like you were, exactly. you were trying to keep yourself from submitting because you had made that decision. Exactly. So I I mean, I don't want to interrupt your story because I love it. I want to finish it, but because I'm easily distracted, um, where did you get that determination and fire and, um, just that chutzpah to do all the things you did as a vet student, because you said you were in everything and, you know, you're, you're doing an internship and now you're thinking about doing a residency and, um, not everybody's that brave. Like I wouldn't have been that brave in vet school to travel overseas. And, you know, like, where do you think that came from? Ooh, that's a good question. I think, um, like I said before, um, I was just super excited to be there. 
And I didn't want to waste a second. I wanted to take advantage of every opportunity. Yeah. So it was kind of like that. All of this is available to me. So I have to take it all. Yeah. And I was interested in all of it, you know, like when you're, when when you're growing up or or when you're even in college, you're um, compelled to do a whole bunch of things to make you like a well-rounded person, which is great. And we should do that. Um, But I, I wasn't so interested in doing all the other things. And suddenly I was in a space where everything was so interesting. Um, and I loved it. I was mad for it. Um, but I guess that's not the whole story. I think probably if I'm honest with myself, um, I derived a lot of my self-worth from those accolades and from, um, academic success and, um, probably the fear of inadequacy drove me. Yeah. So it was kind of that imposter syndrome trying to overcome that. Cause I think I think that's something that's really interesting that I hear with a lot of veterinarians and and I know I experienced it and a lot of people do is that drive a lot of times is we're running away from those feelings of inadequacy rather than running towards something. And I think that just understanding that like that's really common because somebody could look at your journey and be like, man, she's got it all figured out. She's so put together like that would be me if I was a young veterinarian and I was talk and I was talking to you I'd be like man she has got it all figured out and for you to say that I think that there was some insecurity there and that was part of what was driving me is really important I think for people to hear yeah totally I mean that's definitely part of the story (laughs) yeah so you think it was some of it was that other than you were super interested certainly I'm definitely stiller now than I was in my formative years. Yeah. Like more Um, settled. Yeah. Just, I can, I can sit still. I can just embrace sort of the peace and quiet. Whereas back then I would have viewed, um, being still just sitting still with wasting time. I think I slept like probably two hours a night. Um, Oh, wow. Seriously. Now, now I know the value of rest. That's not healthy, right? <laughs> not two hours happy night. Night. Yeah, I oh, don't yeah. sleep. I don't like to sleep, but two hours, I don't think I could manage. Maybe in yeah. vet school, I did that a few times. Right. Okay, so I don't want to interrupt your story. So you're getting ready to submit your residency application and you decide that's not what you want to do. Right. And, and so saying, now what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So continue. Cause I don't want to disrupt the story. Oh, all good. Um, Yeah. So I really didn't know, to be honest, where to go from there. Um, I just knew that continuing on that path didn't feel right to me. Um, And I've always been the the person to follow my intuition and follow my heart. And it had never led me astray before. So I wasn't going to defy it now. Uh, I had no idea where I would go from there. Um, You know, I did have this passion to organize veterinary medicine, but again, how do I make a career out of that? Um, And so I was trying to think, you know, how could I do that? What will my next steps be? And I started thinking about, well, you know, the the major uh, veterinary organizations, the OIE, the FAO, the WHO, they're all in Europe. So I guess I'll go there. And I booked a one-way ticket uh, to Europe when my internship was over, um, landed in Amsterdam with two suitcases and a dog, uh, had no job, (laughs) didn't speak the language, had no idea if I would make it or what I would find, but I just hit the ground running and I, and I spoke to anybody who would speak to me, um, 
And within a few weeks, I, I landed a role with the, the World Small Animal Veterinary Association, started consulting with them on a, a project. Uh, and that one thing led to another. And then I was working as a policy officer for the World Veterinary Association, which I loved. It was perfectly suited for me. I really wanted to make a difference in veterinary medicine. And there were so many issues that I was passionate about. And now I could really be a part of um, I could be the change, you know, I could set the stage and really make a difference in the way that people practice veterinary medicine around the world and what the, the life looks like for a veterinarian and the care that they're able to offer. And, um, you know, the trickle down of that, the, the positive impact that I could have for people and animals. And, and I just loved it. So I did that for a bit. Um, but then I, then I quickly realized as well that I didn't have, um, I didn't have enough experience, right? So you can talk the talk, but I hadn't walked the walk. So I, I had had- Oh, you uh, were too young. I was young. Not that I was young because I don't think age is a good discriminatory factor. It was more that um, I had practiced veterinary medicine um, in the US. I had experience in Central and South America. I experienced in Africa and Australia, but um, I was working for, uh, I was working in Europe and I had never practiced medicine there. I didn't know what the, the differences were, what the struggles were for those vets. And so I felt like, how can you make, how can you make a change? How can you improve? How can you improve a system that you don't know anything about? Okay. Uh, so, I, so I decided to go back into clinical practice, um, but I didn't speak the language and that was a huge barrier for me. Nobody would was hire me. Was that still in Amsterdam or where or was that where you were still? Yeah, in Amsterdam. Um, and at this point, then the pandemic hit and everybody was stranded at home. So I used that to my advantage and I found a tutor that would just sit on Skype with me um, and, and teach me Dutch for six hours a day, five days a week. And I did that for months, I think three months, uh, until I reached sort of a professional working proficiency. And then I started working at a, a hospital in, in the Netherlands and, and practicing medicine in Dutch, which was pretty crazy. That um, would be crazy. Like, how does it work with all the drug names and disease names and record writing? Like, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was, it was, those things were actually simpler than I thought, you know, because they're, they're, um, there are just slight variations. Like maybe the last letter of the drug name is like gabapentin is gabapentina in Dutch. Okay. It just has an extra letter a little, at the end. The translation is okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty okay. It was more just complicating, um, communicating complicated disease pathophysiology to people uh, in, in, in a, a language, language that you don't really know. <laughs> right, right. So it's like we have enough difficulty communicating adequately in our own language. Right. But now here I was in a different space, you know, essentially translating everything twice. So I'm, you know, you translate from medical jargon to English and then from English to Dutch. And then I was trying to communicate that also in layman's terms to uh, the Dutch person in front of me. So they right. just when so you don't weird. know their, you don't know their slang language or their, their also. common language. Cause you're learning it formally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's crazy. <laughs> exactly. So I sort of, yeah, we, you picked it, picked it up on the fly, uh, found my way, uh, but it was definitely an interesting challenge. And I did that for a few years and then it was time for the next thing. Um, I had reached a point where I, I felt like I wasn't really growing anymore and um, yeah, I had, I'd sort of outgrown the practice and I needed to, to move on to something else. And I had, again, so many interests and, and I wanted to develop in different areas. Um, but because of that, I had difficulty finding a role that played to all of those interests. Um, and I felt like there wasn't really a job out there for me, 
not one that I could find anyway. So um, I incorporated my own business in the Netherlands and set up sort of a my own little consulting firm and just started doing a whole bunch of different things. So, uh, you know, I was writing articles for PetMD. I was seeing telehealth appointments. I was doing house calls in Amsterdam. I was consulting with different companies on different things, um, just trying to, to, to do as much as I could essentially um, and to keep myself stimulated. And then in that process, I sort of stumbled uh, across this role that I'm, I'm now at with Koala. Um, it was this, you know, this startup, um, before me, there were no vets on staff. So I'd be the first vet on staff. I'd be the one, you know, building out the team and really mm, forming the culture of the company and deciding the direction that it went in. And um, I got to be involved in so many different things, you know, pharmaceutical products, marketing, and there was just no limit to what I could do. Uh, so it felt like a really good fit. And, but what's more important, I would say, is that the fit felt good. So it was a good fit for me. It challenged me in the ways that I needed to. It allowed me to grow. It was a topic that I found interesting, but it also felt good to be there, right? Uh, I got along really well with everyone that was there. Um, and my values were aligned with the company. Um, one of the first things I noticed was that, um, like I said, I was the first vet on staff, right? So here's you know a group of people in a startup environment that know relatively little about the industry that they're in um, uh, with limited funding because they're a startup. And the first thing, one of the first things that they did was develop a partnership with not one more vet and start to fund projects um, to help them in their initiatives. And I just thought, yeah, this is, this is a company I want to work for, right? Like these are people that get it and that, that I want to work that, with. Have that interest that you want to improve veterinary exactly. medicine. In, in exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so now I've been there and, and I just love it. Um, but if you would have asked me years ago, if this is what I would be doing, if this would be the life that I was living, um, if I would be where I am, I would have thought no way. I mean, I didn't even know that any of this was possible. Um, and in 10 years, 20 years, like who knows what I'll be doing is probably something completely different. Um, but it'll be great. I'm sure. Yeah, well, of course, it'll be great. I mean, look at all the things that you've done already. <laughs> That's incredible. So tell me, tell me for the people that are out there that are feeling a little bit burned out and stressed out and lost. Do you have advice like you have this way of looking at the world that it's just like, it's what I want. And if I can't find it, I'm going to create it. Like, how do you get to that point? Do you have an idea? Or is it just inbred in you? Well, it's definitely not all me. Um, I had this professor in veterinary school, Dr. Hendricks. He was a professor of parasitology. And he was he is one of these people who who really loved veterinary medicine, was super passionate about it and lit a fire under everyone's bum. Um, and he used to run into the classroom and, and point to people and say, you're a veterinarian, you can do anything. And he would just say, you That's know, so, so cool. full of life and so passionate. You're a veterinarian, you can do anything. You don't let anybody tell you any different. Um, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I can do anything. You're right. Um, and I just think about like the breadth and the diversity of the veterinary profession. Like I say to all of my friends, actually, veterinarians make the world go round. Like you don't realize it, but behind the scenes, they're ensuring the safety of the global food supply. They're, you know, 
running out vaccines. They're, you know, protecting you from zoonotic diseases. They're, they're doing everything, you know, when, yeah, when the researchers and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and when the pandemic hit, we were the ones, you know, offering up our labs and our services for vaccine development. And, you know, the first vaccine that rolled out was Pfizer. Who's the CEO of Pfizer? He's a veterinarian. Right. Um, we have we have veterinarians in Congress. We have them. I mean, vets are everywhere. Like, the list of what you can do is just endless. Um, and I think we have our, a particular way of thinking that's very valuable. So when you think about like the most successful consulting agencies in the world, like Boston Consulting Group, PwC, why are these companies so successful? They're so successful because their approach to problem solving. They have a diagnostic diagnostic approach to thinking. And that's just what we do naturally. That's how we solve problems. That's how we approach the world. And I think that that diagnostic approach to thinking and problem solving is, can be used in, in any situation. Um, I've been very fortunate to have so many different experiences and to do so many different things. Um, and I, now I'm sort of in the position where I've, I've set myself up that I can, can, I can do sort of whatever I want. I can go in any direction that I choose. Um, but we all can, I think anything, anything is possible, right? You just have to be willing to accept the consequences of that. And, and you, you have to just be brave with your life. And yeah. there are always going to be people who, um, yeah, or like naysayers, you know, and like you're an exemplar of that as well, right? Like you, um, you're a veterinarian, but you wanted to do this life coach thing. And you had people who said to you as well, I mean, you can't do that. And you're a vet. And how are you going to do that? And you're not going to yeah. make any money. That's and, like, weird. Like, why would you want to do that? Like, yeah. Nobody's doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there are always going to be those people, unfortunately, who try to, to scare you out of it. But everybody's just projecting, to be honest, like, um, they're just projecting their own fears onto you and and they feel like they can't do it. So they want to discourage you from doing the same. Um, but it's like Brene Brown said, you know, Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She always says, um, you know, you have to step into the arena and take risks. And, you know, and there are always going to be people out there who who tell you you can't do it, but you need to look at look at who's talking to you, right? If those people aren't stepping into the arena and taking risks and being brave with their life and getting their ass kicked from time to time. Like, sorry, but I'm not interested in your feedback about my life. Right. Um, Yeah. And they have no control. I think, I think we have a tendency to think that because we have parents that have an opinion or because we have, you know, in my case, it's kids because they're adults now that have an opinion. And fortunately my kids are really supportive of what I'm doing, but just, people that have an idea for your life. Like you had the people that thought you should be an oncologist because that's what you told them and you Mm -hmm. changed your mind that we think that we're stuck. And I I talk to a lot of veterinarians and that's one of the big things that they tell me that I'm stuck. And so what would you say to them? I mean, obviously you've said a lot already about that, about just stepping out, but how can you get into that mindset of not being stuck? Like they're afraid because they have student loans. And they won't mm. make any money and they're afraid because like you just dropped everything and moved to Amsterdam. Like how, how could they do that if they're feeling so stuck? And, you know, my answer is just by changing the way you're thinking, but there's something else. Like there's another piece of that. And I think you just said a lot of it, but is there more? Yeah. yeah I think that's, 
that's really common, right? Because, well, I think as a profession, we all identify really highly with what we do and we, we take it very seriously and we, we care a lot about our work. Um, and if you change your mind, it's, it's normal. I think uh, a lot of people think that like they failed at something, right? Like I thought I was going to be an oncologist, um, and I didn't do that, but does that make me a failure or any less of a vet or any less of a person? I would argue definitely not. I think it makes me even stronger of a professional because what our profession needs is people who are full of passion and invigorated and empowered in what they do and are living their most authentic lives because that's how you that's how you get that that's how you get the motivation and um, the will to 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 be the change so to speak. Um, you certainly don't get it by being living your uh, an inauthentic life. So if you're doing work that you feel unfulfilled in, uh, it makes sense that you're going to feel stuck and you're eventually going to burn out. And we've got a, a profession full of people who are burned out right now. And that's not what we need. We need people who are empowered in their lives and, and, and passionate and motivated to tackle the complex challenges that our profession is seeing. Um, and, and it's just, it's just simply not the case. Like you are, you are allowed to go in one direction and you should do that and you should go it with all your heart. But if you reach a point where you say, I'm not aligned with this anymore, you owe it to yourself to take a different direction. And it doesn't make you any less of a person if you do that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes you more. I mean, look how brave you have been because you've changed and found the job that makes you passionate. And right. I, we both kind of have a similar mission to keep people in veterinary medicine. How do you suggest that that happen? Because you, part of your mission is to change the way it works, right? So it's not so, um, not so difficult. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not causing burnout. It's not causing compassion fatigue. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like how do we change the actual service of veterinary medicine? Because I, you know, I've been in it for over 30 years doing what I do and I still do love it on the ground and seeing the patients and the clients, but how do we get people back to some of that? So that we change the narrative that we have right now. Mm -hmm. Well, it is changing, right? It's, it's a dynamic field. And I think part, part of it is embracing that change. Um, and we need to explore and implement different technologies, different ways of working, um, and allow things to develop in a way that, you know, that we shape the profession that it's serving us as well. Um, I think, yeah, veterinary medicine has changed so much, um, over the years. It used to be, um, you know, somebody graduates from vet school, they, they go into the clinic, they work a few years, then they buy that practice. And it's like this mom and pop, uh, you know, little veterinary clinic. Um, there wasn't as much specialty care. There certainly weren't all of these alternative roles. There wasn't, you know, weren't all these veterinary consolidators in corporate medicine. And um, I mean, things have changed dramatically, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Even the specialists have, you know, when I first started working in practice, there weren't specialists like there are now. There were yeah. a few, but not like there are now. Exactly. And it can, and the, the situation continues to develop and that's fantastic, but you need to, you need to embrace the change. And also, 
um, if you're burnt out or, or unfulfilled, uh, unfulfilled in your, your clinical role, just recognizing that there are so many different things that you can do uh, within veterinary medicine. You don't just have to stay in, in, in that role. You could specialize in a certain area. You could go work for a nutrition company. You could get into pharmacy. You could um, get into politics. You could get involved in organized veterinary medicine. You have to find your niche. You know, I think that's really important. You have to find, um, you have to find what, what fits you. And again, making sure that that fit feels good. So listen to yourself, you know, try different things and, and get yourself in, in different environments where you're uncomfortable. Uh, and then, and then see, how does that feel? Does this, does this align with what I want for my life and what I want for my career? I don't think you need to leave the profession to find that. Yeah. I and think I think just being aware that it will be uncomfortable. Yeah. When you're trying new things. And that's a good sign because mm-hmm. that's, that means you're growing and that means that you're challenged. Yeah. Um, it, it should be despite the the discomfort, it should be somewhere where you want to be every day. I think that's important. How do you feel when you're there? Do you feel like you're growing? Do you feel supported? Do you feel challenged? Do you feel like it's somewhere where you want to go every day? Yeah. Um, And just being aware too, because you said, do you feel challenged? I think challenge for some people doesn't always feel good because mm. it brings up some negative emotions, right? It brings up that imposter syndrome and that inadequacy and those mm-hmm. things that we try to run away from because we're such perfectionists and we always want to do our best work. And so I think just understanding that when you say feel good, it doesn't always feel good. Like it's not easy. Right. The difference right. between challenge and that feeling good because you are pushing through some of those barriers and you are getting over yourself than just feeling like, well, this is easy. Like if I go and do a vaccine clinic, it's easy because there's no responsibility and I don't have to talk to people much. And there's, there's a difference there. Does that make sense? 100%. Um, and that's sort of the legwork to knowing if, if the role fits you and if the fit feels good, right? The legwork to that is knowing yourself, being able to recognize those emotions and saying, ooh, uh, am I challenged or am I, uh, you know, super uncomfortable because the, this is a toxic culture, <laughs> you know? Right. Like you have or to- am I afraid? Am I afraid yeah. to step out of my comfort zone? Am I afraid to speak? Yeah, because someone know? hasn't created that environment, hasn't created the space where I feel safe. Right. Um, and so just being able to, to separate that out, but that requires some emotional intelligence uh, work. Yeah, which is yeah. And it is work. I mean, I, I say that all the time on the podcast. It's like, this is work. This doesn't, like, it's not a destination. It's a constant, you know, no matter how old you are or young you are, you're always challenged with those thoughts of inadequacy and, you know, not feeling like you belong and, and, and that, you know, questioning and, but mm-hmm. that's part of it. That's part of the journey, part of the growth, part of why we do what we do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's hard work, but worthwhile work. I mean, I love veterinary medicine. Veterinary medicine is, is my life to some degree, but the other, the other life's work, I would say, is that emotional development. And I would say probably it's been the work that I'm most proud of thus far. Yeah. Out of any, out of anything I've done, any role I've held, any award I've won, anything I've accomplished, the most, the thing that I'm most proud of is the work that I've done on myself. Yeah. It and, 
And how did you do that? Like, what do you have specific examples of what, what you've developed and what you've done to grow? Or is it just because you keep pushing yourself out of your comfort zone that it, that it keeps coming? That's part of it for sure. But I think it's, it's more than that. It's, um, it's more intentional. I think you, you have to, um, get to know yourself, you know, um, read different books, maybe listen to podcasts, go to therapy, get a life coach, someone who can sort of guide you on that journey to help you understand yourself better, uh, and help you build a better life for yourself. So, for me, it was sort of all of those things, right? I go to therapy. I read a lot of books on uh, this stuff. I'm always following these streams at um, at the CE events, um, and I practice it every single day. I'm constantly watching myself. Um, and in addition to that, it's you have to live a balanced life, you know. Um, I also exercise. Uh, I try to eat healthy. I drink lots of water. Uh, I make sure that I have a robust social life. Um, I'm not just doing veterinary medicine, but because I do all of those other things, it makes me a better vet in the end because I'm taking care of myself. Yeah, and for a better person, care. right, and happier. Yeah, and just more aware and more present in my day to day life, which helps with everything, right? Yeah, <laughs> All your relationships, everything. Yeah. So can we, I'm, I'm going to kind of change the subject a little bit, but can we talk yeah. a little bit about organized veterinary medicine? Cause that's something that I've always been very interested in. You know, I serve on boards and in fact, I just applied to get on the NAVC board and oh, okay. I've been on the Michigan veterinary medical association sure. I've been the president, my local association. I just, there's something about organized veterinary medicine that I think is kind of magical. And it sounds like you love that too. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, organized veterinary medicine is fantastic because it really allows you to um, have a say in the way that things go. So we're faced with many challenges in veterinary medicine that are very complex. And if you're like me and you love veterinary medicine and you love the, the pets and the people that you serve, you, you want to make it better. Um, I think veterinarians are probably my favorite people on earth. Um, no, just, me too. Aren't they cool? They're, like they're the yeah, coolest. They're, they're just good people. Right. I mean, like who would go into a profession with tons of debt, not earning as much as they're worth, um, getting crapped on all the time by clients, like underappreciated working long hours, who would do all of this getting pooped on every day by patients, like literally (laughs) lots of, lots of poop, right. Who would do that? Really good people. Um, and that's our profession. It's Mm -hmm. just full of people like that. And, and I want to help those people because it's hard to be a veterinarian. I mean, every day is, is so challenging. Um, how can we make it better for them? We need to find a way because if we, we make we make it better for vets, that's going to translate into better care for people and pets. And so we have to do that. Um, and so organized veterinary medicine gives you the opportunity to do that. It gives you the opportunity to, to be involved in shaping the, the position statements and the policies that govern this profession. Um, and if you don't like something, you need to say something. You need to get in there and you need to you need to be part of the change. And so organized veterinary medicine lets you do that. And that's why it's so magical. Like, like you would say, mm-hmm. um, it is, you get to see those things roll out and have an impact. And it's amazing. Um, when I was in vet school, 
um, I was on the, the board of the student AVMA, but also IVSA. And the way that these organizations work together was it wasn't really working. So the, the way it works is that, you know, all, all students, they pay, pay the dues to SABMA. And part of those dues go to paying dues to IVSA. But actually the outreach and the education surrounding this was almost nothing. And so all of these students are paying dues to IVSA. They don't even know they're a part of the organization. And so they're not reaping any of the benefits and they don't have access to any of the resources. Um, and I was able to, in, in my role, set up sort of um, a representative system. We're now on the board of every student AVMA uh, at all the veterinary schools. There's an IBSA representative who lets them into all those opportunities and connects the people to that association um, and gets them mingling with students from different countries and, uh, and going on exchange programs and experiencing veterinary medicine outside of their out of the, out of their country and out of their comfort zone and exposing them to all these different opportunities. Um, so it was just one little thing that I did, but now I know that in the vet schools that those, those students have access to those things. And so that was like, like an example for me of something that I was able to really make a difference there um, and change the way that we were doing things. And it feels good to know that yeah. that's still done. Well, I don't think people realize, I, I've talked to so many young veterinarians, well, all ages really, and they don't understand organized veterinary medicine. I was fortunate that I worked with some people early in my career that were involved in organized veterinary medicine. So they kind of encouraged me to do so. And even if it's on a volunteer basis, which most of them are, right. that, that time that you spend not only getting to know the other people on the board, like in my state, there's so many veterinarians that I would have never have met if mm -hmm. it had not been for being on the board, because they come from all over the state, right? So right. the local veterinarians that I knew in my local association, then when I went to the state, it expands your awareness. You get to yeah. know so, so many more people. And then I don't think the other thing that people don't understand about boards is boards influence the, legislat the legislative bodies in your right. state to make decisions for veterinarians. And so that was something I didn't realize until I started doing board work is like, oh, that's how it works. If a law is being proposed and it adversely affects vets, it's the board's job to try to oppose that. Or yeah. if it's something that we want passed, it's our job to encourage the legislator. You know, I had to go before the Michigan Ag Committee or whatever and sit in, I, I felt like I was in a courtroom, you know, and, and talk to them about why a piece of legislation was important to vets. So I think that, you know, there, there's so many benefits to doing that kind of work. Even mm -hmm. if you feel like you're overwhelmed in your daily practice, getting out, you know, once a, a month and being on your local board or your state board or whatever, it's just, it's really good for you. It's, it's good for the profession, but it's good for you personally too, I think. I agree. I agree. And it's, it's, it's part of this, all this whole, like, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person going through this as well. When you meet so many vets from different areas who, and hear their stories and hear their struggles and it makes you feel less alone in what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, and that representation is so important. Right. And so the state boards are, are one way, but we need it at every level. Right. There yes. are, I think there are two vets in Congress right now. One is stepping down or maybe there's just one at the moment. There were two, um, but that's super important, right? Like in the last few years, there was a bill up um, in the house that would have made it illegal to carry youthazol on ambulatory trucks because something about like open container, you can't have it like um, uh, mobile or something yeah, like this stuff. 
Right, exactly. And so if we didn't have a vet in Congress that could educate people on that and why that was so important, think think of the the ramifications. They would pass a law and have no idea. That we couldn't use youth as all. Right. You imagine. Yeah. We'd be back to the days of, you know, carrying guns or whatever. Yes, a shotgun in the back of the truck. Oh my God. How terrible, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I would just, I would like people to encourage people if you haven't looked into, you know, even if, even if you love your job and you love what you're doing, get on your local board, you know, like some of my very best friends I met on boards and a lot of people that I've had on this podcast, I've known for years because of the fact that I met them on a board. So yeah, Yeah, me too. Some of my best friends organized veterinary medicine. Oh, really? Yeah. And because of that, I now also have friends all over the place, all over the U.S. and and outside of the U.S. I could probably go anywhere in the world and know a vet there. And it's been so valuable to my development also as a professional. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So I was going to ask you a little bit about the general assembly piece. I I thought you you talked about it a little bit, but that sounds really interesting to me. What is the United Nations General Assembly and what if you don't oh, yeah. know what that is, what did you do there? Yeah, so they hold they hold the regular general uh, general assembly in New York City, and it's um, you know they're it's just their meetings that they're discussing all sorts of issues, right? And um, IVSA, the International Veterinary Students Association, I can't remember if it was through our partnership with the WHO or through our partnership with IFMSA, which is the Medical Student Association or Federation. Um, through one of those partnerships, we were allowed to to send a representative, just just one, uh, just one representative, and that was me, which was pretty cool. So I got to attend the, cool. the high level meeting on antimicrobial resistance as the the representative for sort of veterinary students and, and their voice, um, and it was really eye opening for me. I thought it was really interesting because uh, in that session, actually, they played a video talking about. Um, AMR and the hand that veterinarians had in potentiating those issues. And from my standpoint, it just seemed very much like they were very heavily blaming the veterinary profession for the the AMR issues that we were seeing. In the back of my head, I'm like, okay, so you're going to blame veterinarians. Meanwhile, every time a kid has a sniffle, he goes to the clinic and they send him home with a Z-pack. Like, right. Right. don't exactly. tell me, like we have feed directives. We're, we're monitoring this, like, right. uh, anyway, but, um, but of course that's not the case, right? It's like the, the reasons for antimicrobial resistance aren't overuse or misuse. It's just use. Like we use antibiotics and then bugs become resistant. And you kind of have to, right? Because people get yeah. bugs and before they had antibiotics, a lot of people died of those bugs. A lot of animals died. Right. right of course. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting experience to see that that's how the UN sort of viewed it at that time. Um, and then we got to participate as well in some sort of like panels and, and round tables and just sitting there discussing with people. Um, and it was an incredible experience, honestly. People um, from all over the world. Yeah. And it felt, it felt good as well that, um, that my voice mattered enough that they wanted a vet, that a vet student was yeah, invited to go to that. I thought that that was really important and made me also feel yeah, just reinvigorated my passion a little bit. And Hey, what I do really matters actually, it affects people all over the world. And it's important that, you know, we get out here and we, 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 we share our, our stories and, um, 
we let people know what we're struggling with and, and, and that voice matters. Um, yeah, I love that. I, I think you should say that again, that we all matter. Yeah. All the veterinarians, like there's so many people out there that don't feel like what they're doing is important. And I just think about, you know, even if you're just working in your little mom and pop clinic and you're, you know, struggling along, there are people that you're actually helping and saving. Like their pets are so important to them that yeah. you are, you are saving them and their lives. And I think we forget that. Like we forget that that's part of it, that those people are attached those pets have value, so yeah. much more value to those people than they do to us every day, you know, because it gets routine. It's like, oh, it's just another old dog, but it's like, it's not. It's so, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, I think you forget, you know, like I have an old dog right now, our older dog, and I keep looking at him going, oh, he's getting old. And I've been through this before. I know what, I know how it happens, right? And I think yeah. we forget that that's how important we are to people every single day. Like we like, are as important to them and their pets as we feel our pets are important to us. Like those feelings are real. And I think sometimes we negate that and we feel like we're not, I think that's part of our suicide issue. You know, it's like, we feel like that there's no, there's no value and there's no way out. Yeah. Or that we've become so Mm, overburdened in exercising that value that we don't, yeah, that we don't recognize it anymore, that it all just becomes too much. Or maybe much. it becomes too much. Yeah. Maybe it's that more than anything, but I just, when you say that you matter wherever you are and what on every level, like you mattered as a vet student to, you know, the general assembly and the United Nations, that that's, we all have that. We all have that value and that worth and that you know, like each one of us is so important to 100%. the world, right? Yeah. And we all have a role to play. I mean, you don't have to be a, the spokesperson of the UN to, to know your, your value. Um, we all hold value at different, different levels and in different areas. Um, and being a veterinarian is, is so important. We need, we need more of them to be honest. Yeah. We need to get, we need to turn this around where people are like clamoring to get in. I mean, a lot of us still are, a profession. lot of us just love it. Yeah. A lot of us were born to be veterinarians. I feel that way about myself. It's like, I was just yeah. born to do this and you were too, you know, the way you feel. So tell me a little bit about koala. Cause I don't know anything about it. It's called <laughs> koala health, right? Koala Health. We're fresh okay. on the scene. Tell um, me about so it's really, it. It's a startup, an online pet pharmacy, um, but uh, we're trying to do things a bit differently. So one of the things that Koala offers that I think is really unique is that they um, we offer pouching of medications. So medications are delivered to the client and they're packaged by date and time. So you have this little box, um, sort of a little care box, like for example, for Luca, my dog is Luca. Um, and then you open the box and every pouch you little, you pull out, like, let's say your pet's getting medications twice a day, it will say like 8am and all the medications are there. Um, so it makes the process of giving medications much easier and eliminates the risk of mistakes. Right. I think, um, so have you heard of pill pack? Mm, pill pack? Not Brief, briefly. Explain. Yeah. So 
it, it was a company that did something similar in human medicine. So proven concepts. And we showed that it, you know, that, that was proven to be very beneficial for, for human medicine. Uh, and I think perhaps even more so for veterinary medicine, because the unique thing about veterinary medicine is right. Is that, um, uh, the care is changing hands a lot. Whereas, you know, in human medicine, you just had your, if, you know, you if you're a sound mind and able body, you take your own pills, right? Um, but in, in veterinary medicine, someone is giving the pills to the dog and that's not necessarily the same person all the time, right? So maybe it's the husband and then it's the kid and then it's the pet sitter and then it's, uh, you know, the person at the the doggy daycare and it's, it's, there's a lot of change of hands. And so that introduces a lot of room for error. Um and even just personally, right? Like the other day, so my dog is on a ton of medications at the moment. And the other day, he's a senior. yeah, he's, he's not, not even that old. He's he not even has a lot of issues. Yeah, he's just got a lot of issues. <laughs> Veterinarians get those kind of dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it seems that way. Yeah. Um, but even for me, right? And I'm 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 checking the medication. I'm a veterinarian. I'm checking the medications compulsively. Like every time I hand him a tablet of doxycycline, I'm like, how many milligrams is this? What's his weight? Is this right? And I mean, it's pre-prescribed. It's on the bottle. I know that it's correct. But every time I'm doing it, I'm checking, right? right. Uh, and even for me, the other day, I gave him an extra quarter tablet of mycophenolate because I, you know, I forgot. Did I give it this morning or even? And I forgot. Yeah. And I gave you forget it that you give it because it gets so. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, even for me, and so you can imagine the, the general, um, just like the, the general pet parents, um, the issues that they, they, they run into. And so it, it provides, um, yeah, a unique, it provides veterinary medications in a unique way that I think can be very beneficial, um, and in increasing compliance, adherence, increasing the safety of the process of getting, med giving medications, um, and so, yeah, and, and we hope, you know, I think a lot of veterinarians don't, don't love the online pet pharmacies. Maybe some of them view it as competition to their own in-house pharmacy, but we're, yeah, we're hoping to, um, we don't want to compete with vets. You know, I'm yeah. a vet. I don't want to compete with vets. <laughs> I, I want to make their lives better. And yeah. so looking for ways that we can do that, do that and improve the experience for everybody, not just the, the pet parent, but at every step of the way, how can we make this process easier for veterinarians also so that we're not stealing their business. And so that we're, you know, providing a service for everybody that serves everybody. Um, so that's what set, sets Koala apart, I would say. Yeah. So is it, is it set up as um, working with veterinarians? So it, they kind of sign up for a service and then they yeah. order their medications through Koala and then it goes to the, to the, um, clients. Yeah. So we have a veterinary portal and then we partner with different, um, practices. Anyone Liars. can yeah, apply to be a partner. And then, um, hopefully we can streamline the, the whole process, right. Of, I mean, it's a startup, so every, everything's in its infancy, right. um, but we're hoping that we can streamline the entire process of prescribing medications, renewals and everything to, to, to streamline the workflows and hopefully make the, the day in the clinic easier as well. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. So that's going to make vets' lives easier by making the client's life easier. Yeah, both from both sides. And this is part yeah. of what we're talking about, right? Like how can we how can we make veterinary medicine better and and what are ways that we can do that? And we need to come up with unique solutions. Um, and I think this is part of that, right? Like implementing unique solutions. Maybe this is something that's uncomfortable. You haven't done it before. You, you're not used to doing things this way, but it, if it's a provides a service that can make your day more efficient and better and ensure that your patients are taken care of. These are the kinds of things that we need to adopt um, 
also different um, technologies that are coming out right now. I don't Did you go to NA uh, VMX? Not NA VMX. I was, VMX. yeah, I was there the whole time. It was great. And I had a great time. Yeah. Anybody who walks through that exhibition hall is like, <sighs> like yeah, it's all crazy, of the right? things that are developing in veterinary medicine right now. And right. everybody's doing something and they're fired up and this technology and this and that. Um, and we have to be open to those things uh, and adopting those things. Yeah. In order to yeah. I think just being there and seeing that the volume of people that work in vet med like that, that encouraged me. So, you know, and I've gone, I've gone every year for years, but um, it always encourages me to go to a big conference and see all the the humans that yeah. work in this field and just be okay. encouraged by that. Yeah. yeah. And going to the parties, like I was overwhelmed by the, um, Cole Hauser was there from Yellowstone. Oh yeah. And I don't really <laughs> watch that. Like I started watching it a little bit, but I did, I haven't really gotten into it and people were going crazy for him. Like mm -hmm. they were wh whooping and hollering. And I was like, you know, that's are pretty cool. That's pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they are. I always feel so, um, revitalized when I come yes. back from one of those events, you know, if that's, that's also a way I think if you're feeling a bit, um, burnt out and, and tired and to just go to an event like that and, and to see everything that's happening and, and to, to talk with other vets and meet people from all over the country and hear about the work they're doing and yeah, the motives that they have, the, the changes that they're making and can, can I, can I adopt some of those? And, you know, I think that's a, a great way as well. It always works for me. Yeah, it really does for me too. I love CE. I think CE is the greatest. And if you, if you're not one of those people that does that, I think, I think sometimes what happens and I've experienced this is if you go to a CE event and you don't know anyone, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but I would encourage yeah. people that if that's the case, just plunk yourself down at a table with some people you don't know and strike up a conversation or just tell them I'm here alone. Do you mind if I hang out with you? And that feels mm -hmm. really uncomfortable when you first do it. But I'm telling you, every single person, if you say that to them, is going to welcome you into their group. And then you're going to have a whole bunch of brand new best friends. And if you don't yeah. like that group of friends, if you hang out with them for one dinner and you're like, oh, these people are weird, then go find a different group. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Like I, I, I always tell my kids that I'm like, look, if you're in a, if you're at a place where you don't know anyone it's very difficult to do this, but just walk up to a group and ask them to be included. Like, do you mind if I, if I join your conversation, do you mind if I right. eat here with you? Um, and people are very welcoming if you are, if you have the guts to do that. And I think that it's just like, I've met so many cool people that way, just by plunking down next to somebody at lunch. Exactly. It's all give and take. You just give a little bit and you'll be surprised how much you give back. Right, back. right. It's amazing. Um, but that's an interesting point. I think um, that's also something we really struggle with in the US. I think it's really difficult as an adult to make new friends and to have um, a robust social life because we're just not thrown into those scenarios where you would historically make friends, you know, in a classroom or, um, you right. know, on a basketball team or, you know, some extracurricular activity. But we're fortunate enough, actually, that we do have that, right? So you go to CE and you're in a room full of people who you know you already share an interest with, right. um, so that you know that you you share some sort of passion and who are probably also there alone or don't know that many people and who are also looking to make, make friends. So I think that's actually a perfect scenario to do that um, is at these CE events. 
Yeah. So expect to feel a little impostery or uncomfortable when you do that. You know, it's just, you walk in and you don't know anybody. It always feels like you're on the outs, but yeah. if, you, if you can embrace that and just be like, okay, I I'm feeling uncomfortable, but let me try this group. You know, they, yeah. look, they look like they're having fun. Maybe if I just walk right. up and say, do you mind if I join? I'm here alone. Most people will embrace that and be like, oh, sure, yeah. come on in. And then they'll ask what you do and who you are. And, you know, you'll get yep. to know people. And then, like I said, if, if they don't click for you, then, you know, try another group because there was 27,000 people at that conference. So out of those 27,000, I'm sure there's somebody there that you could have fun with, right? Mm -hmm. So before we wrap up, because we're getting kind of long, is yeah. there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Did we miss something? Hmm. I don't know if there's something that you should have asked me that we missed, but yeah, maybe just, just driving home sort of the, um, some of the take-home points I think of our discussion today, yeah. right? Um, that's, you know, if you're feeling un unfulfilled in your career and you don't like what you're doing at the moment, there are so many opportunities in veterinary medicine and it might be scary to make a change and super uncomfortable for you. But if you feel, you know, unfulfilled in your, in your day to day, you have to take a risk, I think, and just be brave with your life. Um, and you'll be surprised at what you might find. I think the other side of that is if you are brave with your life, you give other people permission to be brave with theirs. So I've, I have so many people tell me um, or reach out to me um, and say, how did you get to where you are? How are you doing what you're doing? How are you living this life? Like, how can I do this? Um, and the answer is I just followed my heart and I went for it. And I didn't know the way a lot of the times, but I just went for it and I found my way. Um, and we can all do that. You never know who you might inspire along the way. That's perfect. I love that. <laughs> so if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Um, if they want to know more about Koala or just shoot me an email. always email me. Do you, yeah, want, just shoot do you me. want to share your email? Yeah. My email is Samantha at koala.health. And I'm happy to chat about anything. I love connecting with that's my favorite pastime. So yeah, Don't be because they're so cool, right? They're the best. Yeah, it's perfect. Well, I appreciate you so much being here today. It was so much fun. It went by super fast. I can't believe yeah, we've been talking actually. for almost an hour. I appreciate you, Julie. Thanks we could, for having go, we could go a few more hours, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you, I always say this to people on the podcast, if you want to come back, let me know. If you have more to say, we'll definitely do it because um I think, I think that you just have such an inspiring story and I love your mm -hmm. message about being brave because, you know, you only get this one go round yeah. to do what you want to do. Right. That's true. Yeah. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Dr. Samantha <laughs> Morrissey. Um, um, I appreciate you uh, being here with us. Thanks, Julie. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been great. All right, everyone. Have a beautiful week and I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, Samantha. Bye.